What's going on, everybody? This is Black Men Sundays. I'm your host, Corey Sylvester Murray. This is a show about generational wealth, about finance, about business in general. Before we introduce our special guest, my man, Eric, who do you have for our Black Men Sunday Spotlight? Okay, thank you, Corey. I appreciate that. Uh, today, I'd like to recognize what's happening. Uh, the history that I have, or history point that I have for this month, is on today's date, back in 2022, is when a jury had actually convicted a former Ku Klux Klan member, Bobby Frank Cherry, in 1963, this happened in Birmingham for the murder of the four girls on the 16th Street uh, Baptist Church bombing. That actually happened today on March on May on May 22nd. Also on today, this is a day that uh, um, poet, playwright, and columnist Langston Hughes died today. On this day on May 22nd, he died in New York City. Those are two spotlights that I have uh, for today's. Um, um, spotlight. Thank you, Eric, for that Black Man Sunday spotlight. Now we must introduce our guest. This brother here is FAMU royalty. This brother here has four generations of rallies. His father's in the FAMU Hall of Fame. This brother is in the FAMU Hall of Fame. This brother coached the men and women's basketball team. This brother has a show on YouTube called Insights with Mick and Rick. He also has Insights TV, which was the only minority company televising high school basketball games. You gotta give the brother some respect for that. This brother's show with Mick and Rick, you must check it out on YouTube every Tuesday. This brother, listen, when I listen to that show, I feel like I'm back in Tallahassee. Even though Rick from DC, man, that brother sound like he's fresh out of South Tallahassee. Like when I listen to that show, it feel like I'm eating a fresh gut box. So without further ado, Welcome, fam, you royalty, Mickey Clayton of Black Men Sundays, brother. How you doing? Man, I'm great. And after that, that blow up, I had to get you a gut box. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. So let's go on and get this thing started. Like I said, we your show is on YouTube, Insights, Mick and Rick. The business is Insights with two eyes in the middle, Insights TV. So let's talk about that. I mean, the only, the only minority company televising games. Let's jump into that first and foremost. Well, you know, that that was a part of our dream and our vision in terms of what we wanted to do. We thought that the high school sports in the area were not getting the publicity that the student athletes, the teams, or the schools deserve. And so we kind of concentrated. We were able to find a niche. Now a lot of people want to do it, but we were on TV for four years until COVID-19 hit. When COVID hit, it just wasn't safe, or I didn't feel it was safe for us to have our crew out and try and do it. And so we, we stopped doing games for a while. We just started back uh, this year, starting with basketball. And we started with FAMU High because their coach, Dion Dezier, one of the few uh, females coaching the males teams in the area, asked me to come and speak to her team. And uh, it was about, the varsity and the JV, is about 20 of them on the team. And so the first thing I asked her, I know we haven't been out, we haven't done any games, we hadn't done a FAMU High game in about three years, but how many of you have even heard of Insights? And 18 out of 20 of them put their hands up. And they were saying, uh, Coach, we, we follow you, we subscribe to you. So that made us feel pretty good that, you know, we hadn't been there, but our brand was still going out. The kids felt like uh, they were receiving some recognition and notoriety as a part of the program. In fact, we went out to FAMU High one of the young men just uh, signed his scholarship to go to Weber. And 
he personally requested that we come out. So we actually uh, live streamed that uh, on Instagram. We, we put the whole 40 minute program from Family High up there. But it's all about the kids. Hashtag, it's all about the kids. So we feel pretty good with, with what we've done with the sports. And we branch out with Insights Magazine. We got Mick and Rick. We have interviews with Dr. Humphreys, Dr. Gaines. Uh, we have different people. Uh, we got one that, that we want to do. Uh, we talked about it, but we're going to put Alvin Wyatt, former Bethune-Cookman coach on, because Shine is a story in itself. I mean, he's he's a funny guy. And and I'll tell you a quick one. You know, he got his Bethune-Cookman tag on the back of his car. And uh, he said every time he see Florida A&M, he said he don't care if he had to drive 120 miles an hour. He got to catch him and pass him. He can't let fam you beat him in nothing. So he's he he was a highly successful coach at Bethune, but uh, kind of frank and interesting. So we try to keep it entertaining, and we also try to make it enrichment, and we try to do an enhancement so that you learn something. Gotcha. Yeah, because I noticed on there you have coaches, athletic directors. It's funny you mentioned the uh, Dr. Humphrey show because um, you know you guys were he was talking about uh, the bus boycott. He was also talking about how the football team would shake you off the bus. So just for a second, well, if you don't I, mind, you know, telling that story. The, the story behind that, I, I never really got the whole story. See, Dr. when my dad passed, uh, Dr. Humphreys came to the funeral in Cocoa, Florida. And I was stunned when he walked in the back of the church. And when Dr. Humphreys came in, it, it kind of, everybody was silent. And so naturally, they had Dr. Humphreys come up and speak. And the first thing Dr. Humphreys said was, man, don't. He said, nobody believed that I played on the basketball team. And the only person that can vouch for me playing basketball is Matt Clayton, and he's laying in that casket. He said, but he said, Matt and I walked home after practice every day. And see, they used to, Dr. Humphreys always wanted, would say he played basketball, and they would be in convocation, and they say, Dr. Humphreys, ain't no records of you playing no basketball. So, so they didn't believe him. But I didn't know that. That was one of the reasons my relationship had went so so far with him that it was so easy for me to get to him to talk about some of the things that you talked about because you could you only knew that if you watched it. So I know that you watched it. That that's basically what you're saying. But my wife would say he got a way of just calling you, Mia, 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 come here. I need to talk to you, Mia, come here. And, and Dr. Humphreys, when the president called you and cussed you out, you just been cussed out. I mean, that's just. You know, he he would tell you his story, but when he talked about the bus boycott and they drove that bus through campus, he said, man, the football team, the football team got upset about that because they, they 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 were supporting the boycott. And they 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 lifted that bus up and shook them people off the bus. They ain't, they ain't come back on our campus riding that bus no more. They shook them off. They asses hit the ground. And I was just like, Dr. Humphreys, for real? And <laughs> Dr. Humphreys was just... Man, he he was a special kind of guy. You know, he just, he was all about the institution and educating his people, his students. I mean, he he met with businesses and corporations and he wanted to know why or what would it take for them to come on Florida a ms campus and recruit his students. And uh, after he finished his research, they pretty much came back and told him that they needed FAMU students to have better communication skills and better writing skills. And so he went back and implemented some enhanced uh, programs in both of those. And he told him once he got them, he said, I, I expect you to come back on my campus and get my students. So he, he gave them what they wanted so that our students would be able to 
to go into corporate America and be successful in their uh, in their endeavors. Great information, Grace. So I just I just had to hear it live on my show real quick because man, when you told it on the, I, that was hilarious. So just to let you, and plus I'm, I'm letting you know I you know I'm paying attention. I'm locked in. When you send that link to me on Tuesdays, I'm clicking it as soon as you send it around like eight o'clock that evening. So uh, let's let's keep this thing. Yeah, yes, sir. So let's keep it going because you know we're talking about the power of HBCUs. We're talking about HBCUs in general. What do you get? from going to a HBCU versus uh, PWI schools? Let me be Dr. Humphreys again. If, if we had a, a, a student athlete that we really wanted to recruit, Dr. Humphreys would always make time in his schedule to talk to that student athlete. And he always closed by saying, you wanna win a championship and you wanna win a championship for your people. He said, anytime you win a championship, at a PWI, you won it for them. You didn't win it for your own people. He said, imagine you in the gym and you playing basketball with a black coaching staff, black teammates, black cheerleaders, black pep band, black students. How could you not want to be in that environment and win a championship for your own people? Well, and by the time Fred got through talking to him, I, I was, I, I wanted to, put on my shorts and play again. But to further answer your question, um, the love and the care that you get from people who care about you. You know, a lot of times when you go someplace, they educate you and they take time with you, but if you're highly successful, you end up being competitive with their sons and daughters for jobs. And not everybody sees that as a positive. When you're at HBCU, we know that you are the future. We want you to be successful because you have to carry the banner on and you have to carry the banner on further than what we did. It's like being a coach. My daughter's always said, Daddy, how, how can you talk to people that you don't even know like you talk to them? And I said, a lot of times people know and almost pick up that you're a coach, a former coach. They respond differently when a coach talks to them. You can say, hey, 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 boy, come here. And they almost step to attention and come over there. I typically will stop somebody in the mall and say, young man, I don't care what happens between you and that baby's mama. I want you to always spend time with that baby like you holding them now and let them know that you love them and you're there for them. I don't care what happens to y'all moving forward, but you make sure that baby that you can right there knows that you love him and that they have a daddy. And they would ask me, said, Dad, did you know them? I said, no. And why would you do that? I said, because a lot of times that one word of encouragement to let somebody know that they're doing the right thing is very important because a lot of times you hear the negative. You know, this Black Men's Sundays, we talk about business, we talk about finance, we talk about wealth. So I have to ask you, man, how have you been able to make your money work for you? See, I don't, I don't quite know how to answer that because most of the time I have to work for my money. I mean, so in terms of making it work for me, what you guys are doing on here has been very educational for me. Some of the things that you've said on here, I wish I knew when I was your age. I didn't know. And so a lot of times as you get towards re retirement, it's really too late. But when you're younger, you don't really listen because you think it's so far away that it doesn't apply to you. You have some very, very good speakers on here who tell you and help you with how to invest your money, ideologies and plans and philosophies that we didn't have access to. That's one of the reasons that your show is so special because those type of things don't happen. The one thing I would say is that as you get older, 
Time has almost gotten away from you. You can do without younger and set stuff aside. You always think that you need it. I can do this. I can do that. Now, the one thing I learned from my grandfather was every time you get a raise, he said, give yourself a little bit, but take most of that raise and save it. And I said, why would you do that? I said, that's defeating the purpose of getting a raise. He said, no, it's not because you've been living at that amount for a minute so you can do without it. Put it aside and save it. And that was about the most helpful financial advice I had received. Because financial advice, we don't always listen to people when they tell you. It's like health. When they tell you to go to the doctor, black men don't want to go to the doctor. And I didn't want to go to the doctor. And a part of it is, you know, if something's wrong with me, I don't want to know. You know, I ain't getting ready to be worried about it. If they say I got something, I'm getting ready to die, then don't let me know it. Let me just go on and croak. I don't need to know it. With all those things that you have young, compound itself and catch up with you when you get older. And a lot of these things that you get older are irreversible. So it's the same thing with your health, a word, I mean, with your wealth and accumulating money. It's a lot easier when you're younger to put a, a certain portion aside and watch it accumulate and invest it at 30 and 35 as opposed to 60. It's a big difference. And money now is hard to come by. And there's a lot of people out there with investment strategies. Some have been here on your show, some whom I are part of your crew that I respect tremendously in terms of advice that they've given and things that they've said that I wish I knew when I was much younger. Um, I passed some of it on to my, my son-in-law who brought me to, the, to this show. You know, it's, he listens, he researches, and he kind of follows up. He say, uh, Mr. Clayton, some of that stuff on there is, is, is pretty good. I say, yeah, you need to listen to what they're telling you. And oftentimes we don't listen to somebody who's of the same hue that we are. You have to listen to somebody else from across the street tell you because sometimes you think their ice is cold. So you don't want to listen to your own brother, your own sister who has experience and know what they're talking about. And, you know, as we're talking about that, you know, I want to uh, talk a little bit about Black families in our health because I feel like in my family and a lot of families I see, you don't realize someone's sick until they're on their deathbed. You know, they they may have had cancer they may have had just any other disease but you don't know about it so I just would like for you to touch on the the secrets of health that our black families keep and how it harms us in the long run first of all Corey let me explain something to you what you just said has a lot of layers to it and having lived almost all of it of what you said from different angles I, I understand exactly I come from a family where my dad didn't talk about what was wrong with him on the other side, my mother did all the time. It was always, and I'm just being, it was always woe is me. And it was always, I'm on my deathbed and I need all my sons around me. This is the last time I'm going to have surgery. I might not make it. And we probably heard that, oh, 10, 12 times over four or five years. So every time you, you talk to her, she was about to pass. And after a while, you get kind of numb to that. As children, and we grow up, we follow the role models that we have, sometimes good, sometimes bad. And things that they did that you felt were bad, you're adamant that you won't do it to your children. I say that to say, personally, for me, I don't share it because I know what my mother put me through. So I don't want to put my family through it if I was in that situation because I don't want to play with their emotions. I'm not saying I'm right with that because my, my daughters and my wife are mad. They, they don't agree with that. I like to tell them where I am 
in terms of what the doctor is saying now that I go on a whole lot more now than I did when I was younger. Genetics plays a tremendous part. I, I don't know what my mother had or my father had because they never shared it and never talked about it. And when you would ask them, they wouldn't tell you. My health conditions got bad and, and it peaked during COVID, 6'6", 345. I actually, when I graduated from college, I was 6'6", 225. The doctor told me, he said, coach, if you continue to gain weight, we're going to end up having a lot more serious health problems than what you have right now. And my health problems were bad. High blood, cholesterol, gout, arthritis, I could go on. A lot of those things are cumulative. And over time, they get worse. Sometimes when you tell your family what's going on, they think daddy just talking. So I don't tell them. I, you know, I, they can't do much to help me. If I, if I had six months to live, I wouldn't tell them. What could they do to help? All they're going to do is worry about it for six months. So I wouldn't want them to know. That's just me. But I took it upon myself that I need to get myself in better condition. And where I was 345 last August, I'm 245 today. Uh, I've lost 100 pounds in less than a month, probably off of three different medications that I was on. And each one of my doctors are looking at me like a, 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 a miracle of medicine. But it took it's taking work. I still want to get about another 15 to 20 off. But it's just a matter of, of being conscious of me letting it get away from me. You know, and you don't think about it until you're almost at that cliff where you're about to fall your ass in. And once you fall in, once you fall in that abyss of health, a lot of that stuff is not reversible. You end up with it. So a lot of times when I was your age, I wasn't hearing that. I wasn't feeling it because you kind of think you're invincible. So the, the, the narrative on that is, as Black men, you got to take a little bit, sometimes a lot more attention to your health conditions. And some of it, you got a predisposition to have because genetically, it's in your family. It's in your blood. And I think that all of us owe it to our children to sit down and talk to them and explain it to you, eat to them, even though they don't want to hear it, they need to know it. I feel both sides of what you said. Like my mom, I went home for a routine visit back in January. I thought it was just something going on with her diabetes. We go to the doctor. Uh, the next day, the doctor calls me and tells me that he's put my mom into hospice. She's had colon cancer uh, for the last five years to spread to her brain. She won't be here much longer, right? So part of what Corey was asking about, should, we, should, the, should if you're sick, should you tell your kids, right? Well, I found out my grandma had the same issue. I was wondering how she died until I went and pulled her death records. They had the same thing, right? So we got strong genes. I look just like my mama. So it's like, wow, that's something I need to be conscious of to make sure that I'm doing what I can from a preliminary or preventative standpoint to make sure that, you know, I got those genetics. What can I do to try to prevent them? So, but honestly, Mr. Clayton, when I found that out, I was devastated, right? My mom lived two weeks after that. I mean, oh. I can't really describe describe the pain that you that I felt knowing that, right? So I can understand your point on one side where you said that, you know, you wouldn't want to put your kids through that, that worrisome and that, you know, it's a lot to deal with. Then on the other side, it's like, well, I guess I do want to know genetically because I have a similar issue. So I kind of see both both of your points on that. And I understand. Uh, I'm sorry to hear about your mom, you know, out of, there's a lot of things in life that, that you go through and people tell you 
they they understand it. But if you haven't been in that spot, you don't understand. You know, I haven't lost a child. So if somebody tells me, you know, that something happened to their son or daughter, they have an accident, something happened, I commiserate with them, but I have not experienced it. I don't know that pain. But losing a mom and a dad, I've lost them both separately within the last four or five years. I know that feeling. And I know that it's one of them things that you, and I'm telling you right now, you never get over it. And my mom's phone number is still in my phone. My dad's phone number is still in my phone. You know, I, I, I will never, ever erase it. All of them that pass on, I keep it. And there's times that I know my mother communicates with me. And then there, there's a bigger issue here in terms of how we deal with death. Because if you have a family as the head of your family, it's difficult to grieve when your children are grieving. And so you have to, when my dad passed, and I'm not trying to take the story from you, but when my dad passed, same funeral Dr. Humphreys came to, I basically was okay until I had to stand up. My daughters had to walk by. And one of my daughters walked by and she saw her granddaddy in the, in the cab, And she absolutely lost it. And she actually almost got inside my jacket. And she was she she just lost it, and at that point, that's when I lost it. And I remember just standing there holding, but nobody standing up in the church during this process, but herself, but me and, and ho me holding her. And I could see in the back of the uh, church, two of my basketball players. I don't know what they were gonna do. They stood up, and I could see them. And they had made the comment: if, if we need to go up there with coach, we going with coach. But you're so busy trying to help everybody else that you don't really get to grieve and let it out. You know, so there's times when it hits you with your mom or your dad, and it's at a time when you don't expect it. Gerald and Eddie LeVert can play the, 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 the wind beneath my wings. And my dad was a coach. My dad was a capper. I was a coach. I was a capper. I looked up to a lot of stuff he did. And that song has caught, that song in itself has caused me to lose it a couple of times. So when you lose a parent, you you don't get over it. It's you don't get over it. Yeah, that's true. And um, you know, I find out that every day. I just try to take the uh, lessons that she taught me and try to you know spread the positive knowledge that she gave me and the leadership advice she gave me. And spread to the young people. And Corey wanted to tell you too this too because we're talking about health and wealth, right? Uh, and I was asking Doctor Clayton about you know how he, does he feel like he should have told uh, you know will he tell his his kids, if he has an issue, uh, I'm working with a young man right now that he's a PhD student at North Carolina State doing research on different devices that can hook up to your iPhone to help you be more proactive with understanding your health issues. Now, we'll talk about it later, but there's a whole new field of understanding what's going on with your health before you have to get to the doctor, before you're having that stroke and a heart attack, before you're getting diabetes that can actually help you uh, save your life and, and your family members as well. But uh, we'll talk about that later. While we're on this topic, here's what I want to transition to a little bit, man. Because we're talking about health versus wealth with retired, retired FAMU men and women's basketball coach. I was talking to his daughter. She told me, Mick, you're the busiest retired man she knows. <laughs> and now, this brother, this for y'all to know now, this brother, three daughters, all of them hoopers. So... You know, go ahead, Mickey. I'm laughing because she sure says that. I said, oh, he talked to her for real. That's, that's just what she says. That's just, that's just, I promise you, that's just what she says. But Insights has kept us extremely busy. 
Uh, we're working right now. If we can work out some difficulties that we unsuspected that we were having with Roku, uh, we were expecting to already be having our Roku network up and running. We have a, a virtual showcase in June where we're actually letting um, independent artists come on and we're doing a, a, a virtual, a live virtual show on Saturday with hip hop, rappers, comedians, entertainers. On Sunday, we're doing one with gospel, gospel musicians, gospel singers, have a gospel Sunday. Why? We're allowing, we're using our platform as a means to allow these people to be seen. Uh, when you have a platform, and you don't utilize it to the best of everybody else, then that's really kind of being selfish and you kind of defeating the purpose of why God has allowed you to have that success. So we're doing that. Wednesday, we have a cast call at Studio 13. There's a group that's putting on some skits. We're gonna have, we're, we're gonna have probably once a month, they're putting on some skits in here, some comedy skits, and we'll host them in Studio 13, give people a, a place to go and allow him to produce what has been for him a dream. And so he came and talked to me about doing it here. Uh, we will probably uh, live stream his events, uh, help him promote, sell his brand. Right now, outside of that, we probably have three different productions that have come to us about producing their content and putting their content on our platform. Uh, you, you'll hear more about it as, as we go through it, but we have some people that, uh, have come to us after they saw what we were doing and the fact that we're opening up the doors for creative content creators to be able to use a platform to get more exposure. So we try very hard to use our platform in a way that's positive, that's allowing pe other people to be seen and to do something that everybody else isn't doing. You know, you, I raised each one of my daughters. I was raised in Cleveland and the educational system was a little different. And the Northern educational system and the South Southern educational system is a little different. And we were always taught to challenge. And if you didn't think something was right, then you do your research and you come back. We were never passive. We were always aggressive, always trying to figure out how to make things meet, how to make ends meet. And we kind of raised my daughters the same way. You know them. They'll challenge you in a minute. But you know, that, that's how we raised them to be independent. So I'm saying that to say that even where we are right now today, we try to be honest, try to treat people fairly and try to provide an opportunity. Now, if you try to bullshit us and lie to us, then you know we've been calm before by the best. So what happens is my God's a little different. My God talked to me in a way that, that Mickey understand him. He'll say, he lied and said, boy, didn't I, didn't I let you see that already? If you get ready to fall in that hole again, that's on you. I told you one time, you can't trust that boy. So it teaches you how to handle certain situations. But out of it, you know, we try to find stuff out outside the box. And so people want content. If we think it's something that deserves a shot, it's just like the young man with the cast, cast call Wednesday. I told him when I heard his dream and what he wanted to do and implement, my words to him was, man, I think your baby deserves to be born. We, we need to birth that baby and see what'll happen from it. Let's, let's give it a chance. It's been your dream 10 years, 10 years, I've been there. You know, I tell you, I, I've done a movie. I'm sitting on the movie, I showed it to you. You know, we get our, our, our Roku channel up, it's gonna be on there. You know, we find now a way to maximize some of the things that we've done. 
creatively. But like I said, uh, game uh, game day the movie, you one of the few that's been able to say they they saw that. Yeah, and this Mick Clayton, game day the movie, this brother here produced the movie. This brother also is an author as well. So he's not just a basketball coach. He's not just chilling on retirement. This man here is getting it. And, you know, like I said on our show, we talk about generational wealth, um, coach, you know. As part of generational wealth, I feel like in our community, we have to escape this generational poverty issue, lack of home ownership, inflation, paying high taxes. Um, you know, we're not achieving the financial success that we need to. Now, when I look back at myself and I look at other brothers that I've spoken to, a lot of it was taught. Don't buy no house, pipe burst. You don't have no money to replace that. But when you think about ownership in this country, you think about real estate and you think about business ownership, which the majority of people that are successful have both and have some land. So I, I would just like you from your point of view, because I know you, you know, doing my research, you know, you paid your house off. So, you know, <laughs> you ain't, you, you chilling, you paying taxes once a year. So, but I just want you to touch on the importance of that because I see so many brothers, man, they Balenciaga, Gucci, 800, 700 bins, and they renting an apartment. And, you know, that's not, you're not doing anything generationally. So I would love for you to touch on that while we have you on. Yeah, you do do your research. You, you, uh, it is paid off and it, it was difficult to do, but I always saw down the road a little bit. Then I took my drop money and bought Studio 13. I don't have no cash, got assets, but I don't have no cash. But God comes to me, he says, uh, he said, Coach, I, you know, I'm on the, on the committee here with the city of Tallahassee. Whatever you do, do not sell studio 13 he said i don't care if you rent it to somebody he said i don't care if your wife get mad but you do not sell it he said you've been in here about a year year and a half i say i have he said oh your it, it, it it's your value on this priest 20 percent in that time i said are you serious he said yeah because tallahassee has just become tallahassee international airport outside that street where your street ends is that two lane street is going to be six lanes he said don't sell your property he said the value of this is going to double don't do not sell it, hold on to it. There's a lot of things that happen in life, but one thing is they don't make no more land. What's there is there, they don't make any more land. And even when you you purchase, my thing is, is that I've always told my, my daughters and people that I was close to, I said, when you're renting, you are helping somebody pay off their property, either the apartment or the house. If you're renting a house from somebody, your rent is higher than what the note is because they making some money on it and you helping them pay it off. So isn't it better for you to have your own piece of property? Isn't it better for you to pay off your own than for your money to go for somebody else? And I said, that's kind of where our, our money went. We got a two, I got a Hummer, two old, a 2004, uh, uh, 150, it might be a 2005. They're old trucks, they running all right. But my money went in paying off my land because those vehicles, the minute you drove them off the lot, they depreciated. Except for now. Now the doggone used cars that went up so much, you can almost get your money back on. And But if you get your money back, you can't replace them with what you're getting the money back for. That's why the money, that's why the cost, you can get the money back, but you can't buy anything comparable for the money that you get. So you have to kind of look down the road. It was easier for me to repair it than to buy a new one and have a note because I like to travel. 
my Browns go somewhere, I go see them play three, four times a year, the Cavaliers. It's more important for me to be able to travel and do the things that I like to do than be riding around in X, Y, and Z vehicle and be broke. So we try to stay busy. I try to provide opportunities for other people because that's just, that's just kind of important to me. I just think uh, we got to hashtag it. It's all about the kids. I mean, hashtag insights everywhere. We try to do this to help other people be able to live their dreams. And for us, I was, if I was concerned about making a lot of money, I'd have stayed in pre-med, but that wasn't what I really wanted to do. I wanted to make enough to be comfortable, but the other piece of it, to be a doctor and all this entailed doing that, I take my hat off to the ones who did it and went through it. But I changed my, my path in life because it was some other things that I just wanted to be able to do. Back to the wealth initiative here. Is there any advice you've given uh, previous athletes or you can give the future athletes as far as, you know, if they actually make it, not only in sports and basketball, but in their life? Like, you know, you always hear the stories of, uh, I think it was Antoine Walker, who spent over $112 million in the NBA and was broke, right? Like, is there anything that you're doing to help uh, give them a good baseline of financial literacy or what they could be doing with those millions once they get them? Good question. Actually, a great question. Because as they go on, if you watch even at AAU level, middle school level, as they start to develop, the hanger on and leeches come out real early identifying, especially in men's sport and with the boys. They, they start identifying them. They try to talk to mom and dad, and especially if it's mom without a dad in the house. They really undermine them. And they try to get their hooks in these kids real, real early. Try to advise them. They try to get them to change schools. They want to work them out. On the other hand, with the girls, it, I always told the mothers to be careful of the guys who come in to work your daughter out. It's not about working them out, at least not athletically. They have ulterior motives, so you have to be careful about that. But you always have to be careful with people trying to get close to your children, male or female. And I say that to say that they end up a lot of times not listening to what you say, because if you're not telling them what they want to hear, they go to somebody else who tells them what they want to hear. And as a result of that, they're telling them for selfish reasons. And that ends up being an issue. Now, one of the people that actually handled them, their wealth better than most was Marquis Grissom, FAMU graduate who played with the Atlanta Braves. Marquis came and spoke to the team one time. Marquis said, this is what Marquis said. He said he takes his check and he banks it, his whole check. He lives off his bonus money. From his bonus money, he bought homes for his mother and father and seven brothers and sisters. He bought them homes and he bought them cars. And he told them, don't ask him for shit. I took care of you now. And he said, all of the money that he made on his paycheck went into the bank and he lived off bonus money. He said, coach, I was in the school of business and industry at Florida a and I know how to save my money. Well, you got seven brothers and sisters and parents and everybody wants something. And he took it out of the bonus money and said, hey, if this don't give you enough of a head start, you're on your own. But people try to suck them dry. They try to try to suck them dry. And the biggest thing is you have to cut some of them off. Now, I got athletes I've had that would rent a, a plane and put all their boys on the plane and take them off to different places for two or three weeks. You know, needless to say, that individual pretty much close to being broke now. 
but sometimes you do stuff because you, you have money and no matter what you tell these guys or young ladies, they're not feeling it. So coach commissioner, all you could do is try to educate them and sit there and hope that they make the right decision. Same thing you do. We do with our children. We, we, we tell them what's right. We tell them what's wrong. But at the end of the day, they make those decisions and choices on their own. Most of the time they come back to what they've been taught, but there's a lot of times they don't. And when they come back, it's too late. And what I mean by too late with male athletes, when the light come on, we want it to come on before you're in jail, before you're in prison. We want the light to come on before then. With the young ladies, we wanted to hit you and come on before you had two, three children. You know, so it usually comes on. It's just that sometimes it just comes on too late to make a significant difference. But that's a heck of a question. And everybody has a philosophy or a way to try to help. But I think at the end of the day, all we could do is put it out there and do the best we can and hope that they listen. You know, we get involved with things trying to help these kids and we don't. At the end of the day, I just adopt the philosophy. If we help one, that one is better than none. So thank you, sir. Uh, coach, I hope I hope that helps a little bit. As a black man, how do we evaluate ourselves? Because I, I speak to a lot of black men that say, you know, me and the wife, we're cool, but I don't let her know about my inner feelings. I kind mm. of bottle it, bottle it in and then it turns into a shook Pepsi when you open it up or shook Coca-Cola when you open it up. So I just want you to touch on the black man filter and how can we utilize the opinionate, the opinionatedness of who we are to do something to excel with it instead of it being negative all the time. I'm going to give you an award for, for the, the uh, questions with the most ladies, you know, you, you, you don't, you don't ask a, a simple question. You ask one that, got all these different layers and ecological filters we have to go through to, to, to answer them. But I try to go as deep as I can and then come up because the things on the surface are what they are. They're on the surface. Uh, you said something in there when you were framing your question about dealing with relationships, which is a whole nother topic, and being able to express yourselves. And we got men on here. You know, we, we all men. And you go through different things in your relationship. First of all is your selection process of who you decide your significant other to be. I told my daughters and my teens, male and female, men make quick assessments of a woman when they first see her. I ain't telling no secrets. We make a quick assessment. If you're looking for a good time, if you're looking for a wife, if what you're looking for, it, you make a quick assessment when you look at them. So have we been wrong doing that? Yeah, we have been wrong doing that. But that's the way it is. If you dress and carry yourself a certain way, we think certain things. At the end of the day, is it more important for you to have somebody that's a trophy wife? Or is it somebody more important for you to have that understands you and deals with you and knows your feelings and emotions? Let me ask you, do you have somebody that if you get sick, that you trust enough that what she's telling you is going to help make you better? I mean, so at the end of the day, that's where it starts in terms of being able to communicate. It starts way back then if you're friends. You know, she might not have to sit there and watch the game with you, but she know you watching the game. Is she coming in there messing with you while you watching the game? Or she giving you the space at my he in there watching his team play? So it's some little things that, that mean a lot to us. Uh here, I, I know you wanted some wings. It looked like you were out, I fixed yourself. You know, the little things. I mean, that go that go a long way. You know, so 
that you can talk to her. Your, your wife should be, if she ain't your best friend, she ought to be right there next to the best friend that you could talk and discuss things that are going on with you. You know, black men in relationships are trying to break a cycle of being there. Our people have been very strong family-oriented bond. We came from Africa where the man's roles are specific in terms of what you do and who you are and what you should be doing in this relationship. The men take the male child out and teach him how to do things. The, the mother takes the women, takes her daughters and teach him. We didn't get stupid ass crazy till we got brought over to this country and they didn't want us together as men. They didn't want our family unit strong. And if you got close in a marriage or got close to somebody, they shipped you off, sold you somewhere else. So we thought our job was to stud and be with as many women as we could be. That's not culturally who we are. Times are changing and we're getting back involved with it where now men are becoming leaders in their family and sticking in there. Now the odds say we ain't gonna do it. But every time we started even our show to accentuate fathers who've been there, family units that have been together, that have done things, because they need to be honored and recognized, even though it's something we all should do. But you get so much heat that sometimes it's difficult to stay where you are and do what you need to do. I've been divorced. It's my second marriage. I didn't want my daughter, my next set of children to grow up without me being there. That, that hurts me not to see them grow up. So whatever it took for me to be there to see them grow up, whatever I had to do, I wanted to be there to see that happen. You know, so you have to do a better job as men picking the right kind of woman to decide to spend the rest of your life with, you know, because do they change when you marry them? Oh, yeah, they do. I don't give a damn what they say. They change, and we do too. But you hope that you change and make that growth closer together than apart, you know. And you got to choose what you say. You can't tell your wife to change because she ain't trying to hear that. As soon as you say that, you know, stepped on her, you know, opened up a scab, then she coming at you about how different you are, you know. So you have to have somebody you're close with. So that, that allows you to be in that position. But that goes back to you, your initial attraction to her with a big butt or a short skirt, short skirt on. You know, she might be all right for the night, but she ain't all right for every night. So you just have to kind of figure that out. And we, we told our basketball team, we say, you know, when you leave school, you need to take your wife with you. Coach, why you need to do that? I said, because you know her. When you go to work and you working in Dallas and you meet a girl from Texas Southern, you might think you have something until you take her back to home, come to Texas Southern, everybody laughing because you with her. You have to know them, who they are and what you are getting. You go through college, you know who she is. She has been with you through the grind. So you know good and bad. And she know you. She know when you get in that damn mood and get that look in your eyes, she's like, I, I ain't gonna bother today. But she also know when she need to talk to you about something, she can come down, sit down and talk to you and tell you, say, Corey, you, you know, you're wrong, Corey. You just need to, Corey, you just need to calm down, think about it. And just think about it, because I don't think they were really trying to hurt you, because while you were doing something in the room, your wife watching everything in the room. She come back and get in the car. She could tell you what everybody was doing, who was watching you, who seemed to be in your corner, who you got to watch, because she'd have made an assessment on all of it looking around. So you got a wife doing that, and you pretty much got one that's got your best interest at heart. But with your wife, you, 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 you have to choose how you say what you say, you know, she'll, she'll, she'll understand. And sometimes she'll tell you two days later, yeah, you know, you, 
were kind of feeling yourself the other day. You kind of said something. I really ain't paying no attention. I get mad. My wife don't pay me no attention. She'd be like, whatever. And she just keep it moving. My daughter's like, mama, you ain't here yet. I heard your daddy. And she just keep on moving. She's like, uh, I ain't paying his ass no attention. I, I don't know what's up with him today, but I'm going to cook this chicken like I wanted to cook it. He wanted to cook another way that he better do that tomorrow. Mm, great advice. And like I said, guys, this brother's been married for over 30 years. So we all black men on here. If you're not taking gems from nobody, take it for somebody that's been married longer than some of our demographic been alive. Our demographic between 29 and 55 years old. So basically, if you 30 and under, he was married when you was born. Let's just keep it real on <laughs> here. So uh, be my yeah, man. So let's, before I let you go, man, because I feel like this is very important. I feel like a lot of brothers, you know, work a lot of hours and they don't have no insurance. They don't have no health insurance. How important as a black man, especially when you work in a lot of hours, how important is having that? Because most brothers tell me, listen, I don't need no health insurance, man. I'm only 29. I'm 33. I got plenty of time. I'm good, man. I'll get insurance when I get 36, 37, when I start feeling a little tired, but you know, I can, I'm still, I'm still in football shape is what brothers be telling me. So I just want to know from your point of view, as you get older, how important is having that insurance on deck? I don't know if I could speak on that because I've always had, I mean, <laughs> from the minute I, I was employed at Florida NM University full time, I had insurance. I would not know what it's like not to have. You know, when I needed to go, I could go. It wasn't coming out of my pocket. And as you get older, it's in, they, they do something about pre-existing conditions now. If you had that when they insure you, they try not to insure you for that. You know, that's a pre-existing condition. You almost have to have. And then you go in some places, they don't want to treat you because you don't have insurance. So the only thing I was trying to be cognizant of when I was young and first started was, I traveled a lot coaching and all I could envision was being getting sick on the road somewhere and having insurance that wasn't covered where I was. So I always had to get insurance that, cause see all of it, some of it, they got to pick who you go to see and where you go and all of this. And, you know, I, I try to stay with that blue cross blue shield it was pretty much nationwide. So I had an issue. I could get in and somewhere we were in Montgomery, Alabama state. And I, after the game, I got real, real sick. And they had to take me to the hospital. Now, that in itself was a trip. I, I was single then, but nurses looking at you, and here come my basketball team. Like, uh, you can't talk to him. He married and got five children. I'm like, she kind of cute. Now, you don't want her because she, she was smoking cigarettes. I said, y'all just, just too protective. But you just have, you, you have to have it. I mean, there's some things that you could let slide in life, but health insurance ain't one. That ain't one. You mess around there and have something catastrophic happen to you, you'll be financially responsible for something for the next 20 years trying to come from under that bill. Coach Clay, you touched on a lot of stuff before your previous question. How would you relate uh, or equate wealth with having the right spouse in your life? It's critical. So in terms of your, your wealth, you have to have a woman who supports you. And if she supports you, then she understands that we're living in such and such a means because our goal is to get to such and such and such. But if you live in a such and such a means to get there and she doesn't want to do without it, she wants to get there now, the pressure on her to get to that point makes you adjust the plan that you have financially to get there so she happy. So you'll adjust it. You wasn't trying to get there. Now, sometimes your wife pushes you because she sees in you the ability to do more than what you're doing. 
And I don't think that's a negative. I think that support in from her in terms of you following your dream and I thought that you you were going to take this league and do X, Y, and Z, and you've gotten kind of comfortable being the commissioner, but there were some other things I heard you talk about before you did that. You've given up on that? You know, that ain't nagging you, but that's kind of reminding you of the dreams that you shared with her that she don't want you to get complacent with what you're doing. That's kind of a special woman. And she ain't trying to get a new car. You know, she ain't trying to do that. She kind of good where she is. She knows that you can be more than that. And just like we try to assess them, they assess the hell out of us too. And they see sometimes the potential in us that we don't see in ourselves. I hope that answers for you a little mm. bit. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. How do you, as a black man, use your opinionatedness, but still can be productive and not scare um, other people? Oftentimes, that's a good, that's a good question, Corey. Uh, oftentimes with our teams, we told them, I said, one of the very first things you find out when you get hired, first things you find out, one of the first of them is if they give a damn about what you say. If they don't care about your opinion, then shut the hell up. It doesn't make sense to give it to them if they don't want to listen. So you go along with the program, what they want to do, and you look for another opportunity to get somewhere where your opinion has value because they don't. Some do and some don't. You've been in positions where you've been in them where people are like, you know, Corey, you might have a point there. Let, let, let me think about that a little bit. When you're in a work environment where they nurture you and kind of listen to, they don't have to do what you say, but if they at least consider it, then it makes you feel a little better like you're part of the team. We've had businesses and corporations that come on our campus, Florida a University, and look for people who are applying for jobs that played on athletic teams. Why? Because they know what it's like to be on a team in a work environment, working with others. We just had somebody on our Mother's Day show say, one of the guys said, you, he said he can tell whatever job he goes to, that he could tell the males or females that played on t athletic teams. So the question was why? He said, because they work well with others. It's never about themselves. It's about the team. And when you can make a comment that helps the team, then that's fine. But not all environments want that. There's some unhealthy, toxic environments out there. You have to be mature enough to see those because sometimes you have to get away from those situations because they're not good for your mental health. There's situations where they don't want you to be honest they, because if you're honest, they don't have something on you to control you to make you do what they want you to do. There's some job situations that use and try to find corrupt things that you do or habits that they do that you do that they now can use that to manipulate you to do what they want you to do. Those are the sad jobs. And there are a lot of them and at a high level. And a lot of them are very, very political jobs and people that want to control you. So when you talk about being open-minded, that you always have to be aware of your own strengths and weaknesses and always be in a situation to learn from it. Because when you come in, a lot of times you're in new ground, new territory, and you have to learn what's going on around you before you go in there even talking about what your opinion is, because you don't know who's friends with who, who's close with who. And here come Corey, he trying to take over. He ain't been here a month and he trying to tell people what to do. Now you have to kind of, I kind of figured out what I felt were my strengths and weaknesses. And I knew that I was blunt and I said what I said. And I knew that I was just, I, I wasn't gonna change that in me. I said, I just have to live with the consequences of whatever that is, you know? 
Uh, I try to censor it some, but if somebody asks me what I think, give an example. We're in a meeting with one of the university presidents and the athletic director. I was in the meeting. He said, uh, we raised money where the, at the school I was at, a homecoming. We passed some plates down the aisle at, at homecoming and collected all this money and blah, blah, blah. So I just sat there and listened. So they looked at me and they said, uh, Coach, what do you think? I said, I hate it. And they said, why do you hate it? I said, we're Florida a &M University. We're one of the most prestigious Black universities in the country. And now we're going to send a church collection plate down the aisle like church and have people put money in there. I said, one, that looks like we big. And I just, I don't think we big anywhere. Two, how are you going to count for the money? Who's counting the money? When, they, when the ushers get the money at the end, how you know somebody not taking money out? When you collect it at the end, how do you know somebody's not taking the money? How you, what are the controls in place to keep somebody from stealing money? I said, I don't like it. So the president looked at the AD and thought about it for me. He said, I agree with Mickey. I don't think we need to do that. But I wouldn't have voiced that opinion if they hadn't asked me because it just wasn't the environment for us. So sometimes you have to pick your spot. And then when they ask you, I didn't want to be at the end of the day and say, you know what? I didn't think that was going to work. Well, Mickey, why you didn't say so? Well, I, I said it. Hey, Coach Mickey, I just want to say thank you for your time. You could have been on the golf course in Southwood. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you spent your time with Black men Sundays. Even though you say Black men on Sundays, that's cool, because every time you say that, you owe me like two Lindy boxes on top of that. Thank you for having me on. Black men Sundays, we out of here. Check it.